Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, open our hearts, open Jim's lips, that we could uh, hear from you and that we could be people who respond to you evermore, even today, Jesus, in your name. All God's people who agree with this prayer said, amen. Good morning. We're going to be uh, continuing our series on the parables. And uh, before I get into the parable for today, I want to just use a story that it, it kind of triggered in my mind, a story from the news. And it doesn't look like this is uh, functioning here. This happened last night as well. Um, the story is this, the woman that, whose picture you'll hopefully see momentarily here uh, is a woman who is in her mid-40s. Uh, her marriage broke up when she had a couple of kids. So she went back to, uh, there she is, uh, she went back to uh, live with her mother. Uh, this was in Oregon. And I think it was about 2016 what happened was while she... Her, while she was living with her mother, her mother died. Uh, I think it was fairly, fairly suddenly. Which one? You... Okay. Um, and this uh, kind of triggered some like emotional problems. And to make a long story short, uh, this this woman started using drugs. She ended up on the street. And uh, when when this happened, her husband and the state of Oregon started looking for her because. She had actually come into a big inheritance from her mother who had died. The inheritance was something like $884,000. They're trying to get a hold of her. They tried for a year, a year and a half, finally gave up trying to find her. And uh, this woman just died in the year 2020 at, uh, on the street. And um, what occurred, you know, it just was a good story about how people sometimes, yeah, it's not working still. So I may just have to point or whatever. Okay, there you go. Just reminded me, too, of how Jesus, in the same position, he offered this big inheritance, this big prize to everybody when he came and he brought the word. And most people just let, you know, just decided, no, this isn't for me. The parable that we're going to be looking at today starts out in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Actually, the kind of the backstory. And it says, soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God. This is such an awesome inheritance that we have been promised that Jesus was bringing. And if you could go to the next slide. Ah, there we go. I think the best way to understand the kingdom of God is it's the rule of Jesus in my life. Jesus is coming and he's saying, look, I'm offering you a new life. I know that there are problems, there are struggles in your life, there are dead ends there, and I'm here to give you new life, which is going to bring incredible blessings if you're willing to receive it. You know that uh, coffee mug that we give here at Community of Hope to visitors, and some of you have this, this mug, um, it's got this promise back here from Jeremiah chapter 29. And I think you've heard this in different contexts. 
And on the mug, it says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That was a promise given to the people who were living in Babylon, God's people at the time, saying, look, you're going to return, and I'm here, I'm actually on your side, even though you're in exile. But I look at this, this as kind of a foretaste of what that, that promise of the kingdom is like, because that's what Jesus is offering to everybody. He's going, I have a way to bring you this new life. I want to come, I want to live in you, I want to I be your king. And that's going to bring you incredible blessings. So if you could go to the next slide here. Uh, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This kingdom of God is kingdom life, hope, and purpose for all of us. But if you go to the next slide there, you can see that even in Jesus' day, people were turning this down. Uh, it says in about three or four chapters after this parable we're going to look at, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? And he replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom, for many will try to enter but will fail. And it's, the implication here is that it's only the minority of people that accept Jesus' amazing offer of his kingship in their lives. And so today we're going to look at the parable of the soils. Maybe you know this as a parable of the sower. Sometimes people call this a parable of the seed. But it's like four responses to the kingdom invitation. And as we look at this, we're going to see, first of all, why people turn down God's invitation. But secondly, the more I look at this parable, the more I think of it as a cautionary tale. I mean, I started going like, whoa, there are areas in my life that are like threatened by these same kind of attitudes where I can see these things creeping in. And I want to, and it just kind of almost like a scary kind of parable to look at when you start looking at that in the honesty, uh, you know, looking at it in an honest way. So first of all, what I want to do is just read through the parable. And then what I'm going to do is go back to those four different responses. So it starts in uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 4. And it says, one day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to the large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Go on. Other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he'd said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, but I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't understand. And then he says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, 
They're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, hold fast to it, and by persevering produce a crop. If you just go back there for a second. You know, um, you can tell by the way the parable's going, can't you, that that last soil is the one that Jesus says he's shooting for, that good soil. And I wanted to emphasize that last part there where he says, okay, they hear the word, they hold fast to it, they cling to it, they clutch that, they're not going to let it go. And by persevering, produce a crop. They're not just people who go like, hey, this is attractive, I'm going to try this out, but they keep pressing on with it, persevering. They're not going to give up in the face of all the, the stuff that's going to come their way. Okay, so if you go on, there are three dangers then you can see in those first three uh, types of soil, right? So three dangers to the message of the kingdom, and they're dangers that you and I uh, even face in our hearts too, people that hopefully are showing signs of being good soil. And there's that hardness, shallowness, and preoccupations. So first, okay, hardness. So there's that first seed that fell on the path, and he says the devil comes and takes it away from their hearts and prevents them from believing and being saved. Now, I'm thinking there's a couple types of hardness, and the first one is scheming. I think there's something in us that doesn't want the message, something that resists it in us. Soren Kierkegaard says this. He goes, the Bible is very easy to understand, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we're obliged to act accordingly. I had an experience with this a couple weeks ago. I was at a Bible study, and uh, we were hitting this part in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, where it talks about divorce and remarriage. And we were looking at the part in Matthew 5 and then the part where he expands on that in Matthew 19. And what Jesus says about divorce and remarriage is pretty clear, you know. Um, and there was a woman in the, in the Bible study. She just didn't want to hear it. Uh, maybe it's because of her experiences and stuff like this, but she's going, well, you know, my interpretation of this, and then she's starting to change it. And people are going like, you know, it's, the words are pretty clear there, though. And then she goes like, yeah, but, you know, these are ancient manuscripts. And, you know, there's different people copied things down in different ways, which is not a very good argument if you look at the history of the manuscripts. But she's doing everything she can to kind of get out of it. She was scheming, you know. Kierkegaard says this. He said, you know how it says in the book of Hebrews, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. He said, it's also a dreadful thing to sit alone with the New Testament. You know, there's just stuff in there where Jesus cuts real close to the bone. And it's like, whoa, I don't know if I want this. And so we have this independent spirit, don't we? And we're going like our, our hearts are easily hardened. And so there's that, that scheming kind of way to try to get out of what the Bible is saying to us. Okay, you know, um, there's another thing that happens as well. This is uh, one of my granddaughters right here. This is uh, little Noah, N-O-A, out in Flagstaff, Arizona. We were just out visiting them. And uh, by the way, they, they uh, were told this last week they got a deal out in 
in Arizona where they have a ready, set, go thing, uh, which has to do with like uh, being threatened by wildfires. And uh, they got a set in Flagstaff, in their part of Flagstaff on Tuesday, which meant get ready, we, we're going to come and you're going to have to get out. Uh, you know, you might get the go. And uh, that was kind of dicey right there. And we were praying about that. And on Friday, they got the word we backed off from the set to ready. So things are looking up right there. Anyway, Noah's about two and a half years old. And she's a putzer. You know, she's one of these kids that she just likes to sit and play. And she'll sit in a sandbox for like an hour and a half just doing stuff right there. And all the time while she's putzing around, she sings. Just loves to sing. Um, and so what I wanted you to hear, and hopefully this will come up, I want you to hear a little uh, clip of when they just kind of caught her kind of unawares. I just get the kick. I, I've watched that so many times. And I'm, I'm, I was like, it's so cool just to see her in operation. And then her uh, four-year-old sister, Hannah, the amazing Hannah out there, and just overhearing her in her room praying and stuff. And you look at these kids, and you go like, oh, it's so exciting to see this, this faith that's just growing in these little kids. But I'll tell you what, you know, I teach high school, and I've seen people beyond that. And if you look at the statistics, they don't look good for Noah and Hannah, do they? I mean, you see, like, it's that age group, that age demographic of 18 to 30. It's the largest unreached people group in the country. It's like people just fall away, don't they? I remember even back uh, in the 60s when I was in a confirmation class with 48 kids. Within a year, there were only two of us who were still going to church. And so the attrition is great. And, you know, there's kind of a, a myth that says, well, you know, kids have the faith, but then they go off to college and they lose their faith. It's interesting. I read this article here by Lyman Stone, and uh, he said, you know what, that isn't the case. I mean, if you look at that chart over there on the screen, it's like you can see things are tailing off in America right here in terms of affiliation with church or just considering it a, a thing in your life or just being, you know, considered religious in any kind of way. But Lyman Stone says this, a wide body of international evidence suggests that it's not educational achievement that leads people to become less religious, but rather the secular context of that education. Go on. It's not that schools actively undermine faith. It's that schools provide alternative role models, advisors, peer groups, and cultural narratives. It is the subtle, deep prioritization of faith that drives secularism, not over the tax on it. What he says is that the numbers show that it isn't college where people lose their faith. It's in grade school, junior high school, and high school. And the reason for that is there's this pervasive secular influence. It's like God is, is taken out of everything, right? And so the stories, the way we look at things are just kind of like all secularized, uh, our role models are secular, our influences are secular, our peer groups, and it's all the kids just get this idea like it's not important. 
just doesn't matter. It's just not, uh, it's not a big deal. Uh, and that's something that we face too as people who are not in school anymore. So we look at, like, I was, this is a, uh, a series that my wife and I watched called Broad Church. And it was kind of an interesting series. I thought it was pretty well done. Uh, and there was a solid, like, ethical core to the, to the storyline. But, you know, you can see in the picture right there, there's a minister in this. And the minister, he wasn't put up to ridicule or anything like that. He was a, he was a straight arrow kind of guy. But every time they would show him, like, preaching a sermon or giving counsel to somebody, he never, ever, ever brought God into it. When he'd bring a passage up in, you know, in a sermon, it was, there was nothing supernatural about it. It was more like he was functioning like a guidance counselor. There was never a hint with all the problems that people had in the series of prayer. And that's the kind of culture we live in, isn't it? I mean, if somebody actually brings up the name God or says the name Jesus, everybody kind of freezes. It's like it just seems out of place. It seems inappropriate. We've become so secularized. And as a result, our ground gets harder and harder. It just seems harder to believe that the things of God are important at all. Go on. Um, he says here, just a third of religiously affiliated parents see passing on the faith to their kids as a top priority of parenting. That just shows, I think, how the path is a big thing for, in our culture, and it's a big thing that you and I face. There's a second uh, soil, and that's the shallowness, where it talks about those, the, the, so, the seed that fell on the rocks, and it says, since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, but then they fall away when they face a time of testing. The word testing there you can, are, is actually like translated two different ways. Sometimes it has to do with like uh, hardships in our lives. And sometimes it has to do with like temptation. It's like those things that lure us uh, into sin. And these are things that we go like, man, this is too hard. I don't know if I can continue on following what Jesus says. And so you think about a guy like Jack Phillips. I mean, he's been in the news a lot. And time after time, what happens is activists come into his shop and they demand that he makes a cake that has a message on it that they know is going to go against his Christian faith. And wouldn't, if you were in his position and you got sued again and again and again and you got to do all your stuff and then you win, but then you, they have this provocation again and they sue you again, wouldn't you get to the point where you just go like, you know, what's the point? Might as well just make what they want and just save myself the trouble. In, uh, in Poland, they had a totalitarian government. The communists ruled that country for quite a while. And there was a poet there. His name was Czesław Miłosz. And he said, you know how people survived at that time? They used this idea of ketman. That's a Persian term. And it's the idea of self-preservation self strategy of maintaining the outward appearance of being true to the system while inwardly dissenting. And so you just play along. You just do what they're telling you to do, even though it's against your conscience, even though it's the wrong thing. You agree. You, you, like go, you cheer when they tell you to cheer, even though your heart is not in it at all. And you only tell the honest truth when you're with people that you know you can trust, maybe like your family, but you're playing the game. And he said, that kind of uh, behavior keeps you out of trouble. But ultimately, it corrupts your character. An actor who inhabits 
His role around the clock eventually becomes the character he plays. And so that soil, the rocky soil, is a soil where it's like, whoa, there's these temptations are so difficult to resist, I might as well give in to them. If you think about the two biggest temptations in American culture, what are they? Think they're money, they revolve around money, and they revolve around sex. Those are just the two big gods in our society, right? And that's why uh, when we look at this, this uh, story of Beckett Cook, uh, I'm just in a process of reading. It's a fascinating book called Change of Affection. Uh, Beckett Cook was a guy who was just a talented fashion designer. He was famous in, uh, in California, in, in Southern California. And, uh, but he totally identified with, with being gay. And what happened was, there was he got invited to church. And he had never been in a church before. Uh, and he went to his church just on a whim. And he heard a sermon on Romans chapter 7. And it's like God just touched his heart. And he just all of a sudden had a revelation of who Jesus was. And it changed his life. And uh, Cook says this. He goes, surrendering my sexuality uh, after that happened hasn't been easy. I still struggle with vestiges of same-sex attraction, but denying myself, taking up my cross, and following Jesus is an honor. Any struggles I experience pale in comparison to the joy of a personal relationship with the one who created me and gives my life meaning. My identity is no longer in my sexuality. It's in Jesus. See, that was a test, wasn't it? And as believers, we're tested with that. With, with temptations like this, we're going like, yeah. And so we're going like, yeah, but what Jesus says is so out of step with what our, the way our culture is going. It just doesn't match that progressive sexual uh, ethos of our culture. So I might as well just, I better compromise. I better go their way. I can't just stay in, uh, on the wrong side of history here. And that tests the message. And then it also leads to hardships here if we, if we stand strong at that point. And so what happened was Beckett Cook lost his job. You know, they weren't going to put up with a guy like who was coming on strong as a Christian there. And he lost most of his best friends, people whose the relationship with them he, tre he, he treasured. And he said this, I'm not complaining or claiming to be a victim. What I gained in Christ is absolutely priceless. Yes, the loss of close friendships and a lucrative career were harsh but being in the kingdom of God more than compensates. And so it's like that second area where there's a danger for us is, are we willing to really deal with potential dangers and hardships that can come our way for holding fast to what Jesus says? You know, if we handle our money the way that Jesus says, it's going to be a radical kind of countercultural thing. It's, like it's going to probably cause some real hardship in our lives or in, in various ways, and are we willing to do that? Uh, and then we think of the hardships, too, that come from disappointments uh, sometimes with God. So if you could go on to the next one. Uh, no, go back um, to the previous. Uh, there you go. I, I read this uh, memoir by Eric Metaxas called Fish Out of Water, and he talks about how he did not know anything uh, really about the Lord or didn't take anything like that seriously till he was in his mid-20s. And he's working in a publishing company, and what happened was his, um, his beloved uncle, Theo, got very sick, and it looked like he was dying. 
And he, there was a friend of his at this company, and this guy's uh, name was, was Ed. And Ed was a Christian guy. And uh, Ed says, hey, why, why are you so down, Eric? And uh, he said, ah, my uncle's dying, and I love this guy. He's always been my role model. And Ed said, you know, can I pray with you? And uh, Eric said, well, you know, if you want to pray, go ahead. And he said when this guy prayed, he said he felt like Jack being pulled up the beanstalk till his head was above the clouds and he saw something he had never seen before. It was like something was there that was bigger than anything he had ever seen. And he was so moved by this experience, he thought, I don't even know if I believe in God, but I'm going to keep praying. And so he prayed for the next like three weeks for his uncle uh, to, to recover. And then his uncle died. Now, you and I probably know people who have had experiences like that where they've prayed and they, they were going like, oh, this loved one, and I'm so disappointed that God didn't move in this situation. It's like, where is God in this? And I, I talk to kids at school and I go like, so why don't you pray anymore? They go like, you know, I was praying for my grandma and she was dying and then she died and I'm done with God. You know, it's like that hardship hits like that. And that's, that's tough, isn't it? It's like that's where the, we see how deep the seed is go, has gone in the soil. And Metaxas says this. I'll go back. Um, don't hate on that slide. Okay, there you go. But it says, But for some reason, I was not disappointed in the prayers that had not been answered as I had hoped. It was as if for some reason over the last weeks, God had become real enough to me that I trusted him even if he hadn't done what I begged him to do. And I pray that the seed in my life, in the soil of my life, is, is going deep enough that when those hardships hit, it can still grow and sprout and not get choked out. Okay, and then the third uh, type of soil is the weeds. And those are the preoccupations. So it says the, the, the seed that fell among thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. These are good things in our lives that sometimes crowd out what God wants us to do. Um, I remember back when I was working in a grocery store, and I've told you about how I had that uh, night job for about 10 years stocking shelves, and uh, while I was teaching, and I, I remember when my daughter Amy, that's the one on the right there, uh, when she was six and Sarah was about four, she's on the left. By the way, that's Mark, uh, my son in the middle there when he was about one. He, he's changed a little bit uh, through the years there. But anyway, um, we were at the supper table and Amy uh, turns to me and she goes like, Dad, why are you here? I'm going like, I'm the dad. I said, this is mealtime. Of course I wouldn't miss this. I go, what do you mean? And she said, well, aren't you supposed to be at work? And I'm going like, well, I got the night off. She said, oh, I, I thought you were supposed to be at work. Now, this was during a time when I was starting to wonder, does God really want me to work the second job anymore? I mean, my family's getting, you know, growing and getting somewhere, and maybe I need to be with them. And I was just starting to pray about that, you know? And then a couple nights later, I was putting Sarah to bed, the one who was four. And I remember she started crying. And I'm going like, Sarah, what's wrong? And she said, Daddy, you're never home. Kind of touches your heart as a father, you know? And I started thinking, I wonder if this job that at one time was 
I, I really believe God had called me to so that we could support the family on my, on my school salary and my wife could stay home with our kids. I wonder if this is what I'm still supposed to do or has this become a weed, a thorn in my life that's getting in the way of what God really wants me to do. And that finally caused me to get to the point where I, I knew I had to trust what it says in Matthew 6 where if I seek the kingdom of God first, he'll take care of my needs. Okay, uh, Francis Chan in his book Crazy Love says, I think most American churchgoers, that's like you and me, are the soil that chokes the seed because of all the thorns. Thorns are anything that distracts us from God. When we want God and a bunch of other stuff, then that means we have thorns in our soil. Our relationship with God simply cannot grow when money, sins, activities, favorite sports teams, addictions, or commitments are piled on top of it. I'll give you an example of this on uh, the next slide right here. Um, I was thinking about, like, the Cleveland Indians. And, you know, this year, my favorite channel was always that Sports Time Ohio where the tribe was on there. And apparently, the tribe broadcast got bought out or STO got bought out by Bally Sports. And the only way you can get Bally Sports is if you go to the accursed and evil AT&T. And so I thought, I, I can't in good conscience do this. To, I can't do this to myself, actually, you know. And so I've been without my beloved tribe all year. Uh, and that's been, that's been hard. What's that? Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, but it's in spite of the fact that there's something I don't want, this has actually freed up a lot of time. I mean, this has, done, this has been a good thing for my prayer life. And I'm starting to think here, you know, maybe the tribe was actually a weed there, a thorn in my life, you know, because it would be like, I'd start to pray and I'd go like, yeah, but what's going on here in the bottom of the sixth? And I'd go right back to the game, you know. That's how spiritual I am. Okay, um, and you can see this too, back to Lyman Stone. He says, large shares of religious parents report believing that when religious activities conflict with other activities, it's the religious activities that should be sacrificed. Is that not a sign of the weeds in our lives? And again, a lot of these things are good things, these sports activities for our kids, but we've got to make some choices, don't we? Okay, so the last soil is a good soil. We looked at that before, and that's where, that's where we want to be, right? That we hold fast to God's word, and we persevere and produce that good harvest that the Lord wants to, the, doing the things that he's called us to that are going to make a difference, that he's empowering us by his spirit to do. Okay, go on here. So I, as I went through this, I thought, what can I do? Because I can see these dangers coming against my life in, in so many ways. And I got three things that I want us to look at. And one is, I think I need to join with other believers to reorient myself to reality. You know, in Hebrews 10, it says, let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, we're living in that path society that just like, just ignores the existence of reality, the reality of the Lord. It's just like they, they just don't see it at all. And we're bombarded by this all the time. We need other believers. You know, God doesn't give points for going to church. 
He didn't go like, oh, cool, you went to church, I'll give you some extra reward. You know, we go to church because it's smart. We go to church because we get reoriented to the reality of what's really going on, and we're not just simply buying into those lies that have, have censored out the reality of the supernatural. And we need that. We need the Bible studies. We need the one-to-one meetings with other believers where we can be encouraged. You know, we don't get, you don't get a, a points for reading the Bible, but it's smart to do it because it reorients you to the actual truth. We need that. Okay, secondly, I need to embrace struggling and even suffering and not comfort as part of the genuine Christian life. There was a researcher at University of Michigan that was going like, why is it that Japanese students do better on math tests than American students? So he uh, spent a lot of time in Japan observing what was going on. And then what he did was he did a little experiment. He gave first graders, American first graders, Japanese first graders, mathematical puzzle. And he said, okay, um, work at this, see what you can do. And then he timed them to see how long they went before they gave up. Average American first grader, nine minutes. Average Japanese first grader, 14 minutes. He said, it isn't a cognitive difference between Americans and Japanese. It's actually a struggling uh, difference between them. And he said this about Japanese parents. They teach, we go back there for a second, they teach them, their, their, their kids, that suffering can be good. You know, we're going to have to embrace as Christians, there's going to be pain in our lives. There's going to be difficult things, difficult decisions we're going to have to make as a result of temptation and hardships. But that's really the essence of what it means to be a Christian, and we're going to have to embrace that. And finally, to choose the kingdom over the good when necessary. So Jesus uh, said back in the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. We've got to make tough choices. And that's when the weeds come in there. What are we going to do? Remember when my son Mark was a junior in high school at Lutheran West, and he was on a basketball team. He was swinging between the JV and the varsity. And uh, that was when we restarted our Monday night Bible study uh, for, for Lutheran West students. And it was just really getting going. Mark was a worship leader. And then basketball season hit that year, and he realized that a lot of the practices were in the evenings. They went, you know, till maybe 8 o'clock uh, because of the lack of gym space at that particular time. And uh, he went to the coach, and he said, you know, we ha- I have a Bible study every Monday night, um, and uh, I, it, it conflicts with practice. And the coach paused for a little bit, uh, and the coach said, you should go to Bible study. That's more important. And he let Mark be part of the team. But I always wonder, what if he got into a situation, and you get into him, and I do too, where you don't have somebody who understands and says you can have the good thing, and you can have the thing God is calling you to, and, they're this, and you can have them both. What if you have to make a choice? And I wonder uh, what Mark would have done. I, I trust that he would have said, I'm going to the Bible study, but I guess 
We never know for sure until that time comes, right? But it's like the Christian life has got some choices like that, where we go like, this is a good thing, but this is what God's called me to. And he's called us each to different things as part of this new life that we've been created for. But I just, I pray that for each, for myself and for each one of us, that we make those choices and we choose those things that God is calling us to, those things that he's going to use in mighty ways and he's going to bless us through. So let's pray. Father, as we come here today, we first of all want to thank you so much for inviting us sharing that good news to us of your of that kingdom and lord jesus thank you for making it possible in our lives and so as we come to you today i just want to pray about those those first of all if there's anybody here that just hasn't accepted that invitation to come into the the family of 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 god through jesus christ with it that they'd uh, receive your invitation there lord and just embrace you uh, put their trust in you lord and I pray, for, uh, I pray for, for those who are walking with the Lord right now, that you would guard and protect us by your spirit, that you would open up our eyes to the pitfalls, that you would help us to cling to your word, and that you would help us to persevere in the things that you have called us to. And we just thank you for this glorious privilege, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.